0: Welcome, everyone, to the Paranormal Roundtable. Paranormal Roundtable is three words. Paranormal Roundtable. I'm your host, Josh Turner, also known as Wolf. And with me, as always, is... Sal. I'm happy to be here, folks. happy guy that's happy to be here. The salads are... Yes, the czar of all things salad. Have we decided on that, are we going to call you Sal, what is it, Salrecian? Salrecian, yeah. I'm, a- I'm going to keep this joke going because there's this one guy that keeps complaining about it, and I'm just gonna <laughs> going to keep going because I want to make you mad, sir. That's what I, I'm trying to make you mad.
1: Yes, we're, we're going to tend to get under your skin with mm-hmm, that joke.
0: Until he goes and breaks down and, you know. And
1: has to seek
0: counseling. That's right. That's We're a- just going to keep, we're putting you, we're, we're making you crazy. <laughs> you know who you are. Oh, yes. Okay, so anyways. What we have today, tonight, uh, uh, is we're going to be interviewing someone who is a ghost hunter.
1: Very, very awesome ghost hunter. And, uh, well, you this, don't know that.
0: You don't know that. I we think haven't so. talked to her
1: yet. Yeah, but still. I'm just kidding. She's we, awesome we like that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So before we get started down this little path, another rabbit hole, <laughs> let's uh, go ahead and give him the email, brother.
0: Uh, it's DOSWolfMan88 at gmail.com, DOSWolfMan88 at gmail.com, and. Sal at gmail.com send
1: us your stories folks we want to hear them we'll get to them as fast as we can so with that being said let's go ahead and uh you know get our guest on here and get the show rolling
0: yeah absolutely uh her name is anna yes and i kept calling her anna and she's like my name is anna it's anna so we we will remember that yes. anna you are you there yes i
2: sure am thanks for having me on you guys
0: oh you're welcome so uh you are a ghost hunter.
2: That I am. Yeah, I mean, we investigate all, all kinds of paranormal things, but you could call it ghost hunting for sure.
0: When you investigate all kinds of paranormal things, what do you mean by that?
2: Uh, well, one time uh, we had a park ranger that was telling us about all his Sasquatch sightings, and we were invited out to to try to investigate that. Um, we've looked into some stuff with UFO cases. Our team leader has actually written uh, a really good book on that. Um, The majority of what we do, though, is uh, historical-based ghost hunts, if you want to call it that, Um, and uh, just paranormal research in general. And then we also do some private help cases uh, occasionally for people that contact us that have something in their home that that they need to figure out.
1: That's pretty awesome right there.
0: So something in their home that they need to figure out, like they can't work their dishwasher? or (laughs) Yeah, we do uh dishwasher repair. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you, okay, can I ask you a question, though, right off the gate so we can just get this out of the way? Because a lot of people yeah. say that ghost hunting is a bunch of blah, 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 you know, and and they'll...
1: They'll poo-poo they'll it.
0: They'll poo-poo it, but like like I, I want to ask a question. Like, do you ever get people, though, that are like, I hear this drip, and I hear this noise, and it's just like the shower? I mean, does that ever no, happen? You have no idea. Oh, man. A lot of your
2: job is actually... Um, well i'd say like 95% of it is just debunking things and on a lot of these health cases we try to be pretty selective because unfortunately for one thing if somebody isn't as used to things and they hear a creak in their home uh they, and they've watched too many episodes of ghost adventures then they automatically jump to conclusions and it, you know it's really easy for us to debunk and that's fine because it gives them peace of mind um but we're very analytical and um i don't want to use the word skeptical but Very careful. uh, And we throw out anything except evidence that we absolutely can't explain away. Uh, And so we never want to lead somebody to believe that their house is haunted when, like you said, it's just a leaky faucet or something. And that certainly happens. So we try to be a little selective about what cases we take. uh, Because on top of that, a lot of the people that You know, binge watch a lot of the ghost shows. Not that I'm disparaging watching those. I think they're great. Um, But some people, they get a little carried away with it, and they will actually make stuff up just because they want to try to, you know, get on TV or or get their own
1: episode. That makes a lot of sense. There are people out there that uh, want to be on a show. So go ahead. You know, let's uh, jump on into you know the big meat of this this episode, and the thing that you wanted to talk to us about, and I'm very anxious to hear all these details that you guys have discovered, you know, regarding this particular case. Sure,
2: yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, what I'm going to talk about, uh, some of your listeners might have heard of it's Fox Hollow Farm, uh, which is uh, in I don't know if
0: it's Carmel or Car- Carmel. Do you guys know how that's pronounced? I think it's There's Carmel. Some- I think I thought it was called <laughs> Caramel. <laughs> <laughs> potato, potato. Oh, it's, it's something like that. It's we know Indiana. it's not chocolate. I don't know. Go ahead. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, go chocolate. Ahead. Uh, so it, it's about twenty
2: miles from Indianapolis, and uh, it's actually a really gorgeous property. Uh, it's about eighteen acres. It's a horse property so it's got all these lush ro- rolling green hills and it's got uh, horse stables and barn um, it has a really neat carriage house with an apartment on top I'll, I'll be talking about some of the activity that's happened there as well and then the house itself um, is huge it's like 11,000 square feet uh really beautiful Tudor style mansion basically so this this is a pretty posh property nice. um, and you would think it was, yeah you would think it was totally peaceful and and blissful if you didn't know kind of the horror of what had happened there so um oh and also when you pull up to the property there's a sign out there they of course there's gates because they get a lot of people coming there who who want to take photos or break in or whatever so they have security systems set up you get a lot of serial groupies apparently which is odd
0: um whatever floats your boat i guess Mm. We, we, we should probably tell it's it's who it is.
1: Yeah, let us know. I mean, the the suspense, is I know, is getting a lot of folks here. Let us know what this oh, is all right. about. Well, the word, I mean, yes, Uh it's Herb Baumeister,
2: and I'm not sure how many of your viewers will have heard of him. He's actually considered one of the most prolific serial killers in American history. I don't know if he tops the list, but he's definitely up there. Yeah,
0: he's up there. But, you know, you don't hear a lot about him, and I have my own theories about that, but I'm not going to get into it. I just think that he is, he should be well more well-known because of the horrors of the things he did. He owned a lot of stores. Didn't he, like, Save-A-Lots or something like that? Yeah, that was the name of the stores. That Yeah,
2: yeah absolutely. In the 1980s, he, um, I think he opened two stores, Save-A-Lot thrift stores, and initially they were quite successful. Uh, obviously, that's what allowed him to afford such a palatial, gorgeous property. Um, however, after he was discovered, which I'll get into later, um, it started to go bankrupt. So mm-hmm. they they did not last. I'm not sure if ownership changed. I don't know if they're still around. Do, or
1: do you guys happen to know? No, I do not. I've heard of save a lot, but I don't think it if, if I remember correctly, if my memory serves me, I don't think it was a grocery store. I think it was No like,
0: no it was a thrift store.
1: Yeah, like a thrift store. That's yeah. what she just said. Yeah. Well, this 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 particular store I'm thinking of, I don't think it had anything to do with like that. It was more or less kind of like those five and dime type stores. And his was a grocery store. So maybe it was just somebody who took the name up. I don't know. But I've heard the name.
2: His, his was just a straight up thrift store, but I'm not not really hmm. sure what all was involved. I didn't look into that a ton. But yeah, it made him uh, quite successful. Like, like you hear about with many serial killers, he was considered this... Well, I don't know if I'd say pillar of the community, but he was a family man. He he had a whole facade going on um, that was quite different in his hidden life, as we will talk about shortly. Um, so basically, as I said, he was really kind of disguised as like this dem- demure family man. Uh, he had a wife that he'd been married to for about 25 years. They had three children together. Um, I believe it was a son and then two daughters um, I'm not sure what the age differences were, though. And his son was actually part of the reason for his eventual downfall, but I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later on. Um, and by I've done some research on his childhood, because when somebody's that sick, you always kind of wonder, well, did something happen to them when they were younger? Uh, by all the kids that I could find, his childhood was really normal. Uh, but they did say by the time he got To adolescence, there have been some reports of some pretty strange behavior. Um, Apparently, he had like a fascination with dead animals, which is, of course, not unheard of with serial killers. And there was also a really strange incident where I guess he urinated on a teacher's desk, which is pretty weird. Um, And if I'm not mistaken, I know he was diagnosed with some form of mental disorder. And in my research, I've heard both schizophrenia and some kind of obsessive disorder. I'm not sure if it was both or one or the other, but there's definitely some kind of diagnosis that happened. And then sometime in the early 1970s, I want to say it was like 72 um, his father actually had him committed to a psychiatric hospital for a couple of months, but other than that, um, I think his mental illness really kind of flew under the radar, and he was able to put on this guise of of this successful
0: family man. Yeah, they usually have a veneer of normalcy around them. Yeah, trying oh, to, trying to hide yeah. that <clears throat> yeah, the the dark side, the dark side. Yeah, and believe yeah. it believe it or not, I've actually in my former line of work, I would come across people who were absolute sociopaths, psychopaths, and you just had to deal with it. I mean, it was part of the—I used to do—I used to, for lack of a better word, do—you know, I used to be kind of a gangster, and this, I'm talking a long time ago. I've been very, very—
1: When you were very young. Very
0: young. Well, very young. Not really young. 20-something. Yeah, in my 20s. And then I got out of that line of work, and I found my way back to God and began to change my life. I haven't committed a crime since 2005, but— nothing like this guy i didn't was no kind of sicko or killed people like that but i dealt with people who were th- they were in that line of work because they were they were they, twisted. Were they, they have yeah. they had no uh i mean we had a guy and you don't really know if these people are jerking your chain or being serious but um you know th- in that line of work you never know i mean they're just psychos psycho sucks. you know that's why they do what they do and just sitting there talking about they did this to somebody and that's somebody, you know, not really mentioning names, but you're going like, I can imagine this person probably did. And you're just like, this is, you know, they're, you're just the absolute dregs of society in that kind of line of work, you know, they work yeah, for, they you know,
2: they, they definitely walk among us. It's actually really disturbing when you hear the statistics on the percentage of the population that's a sociopath or a psychopath. And it, it kind of makes you wonder, like,
0: have I ever. Ever bumped into a killer you know in the grocery <laughs> probably has. they are out there and it's also really disturbing if you ever
2: look up how many active serial killers there are that haven't been caught yet that will give you nightmares
0: oh man wow yeah <clears throat> well I, I read a book because my aunt my aunt actually works as a, psych, a psychologist mm-hmm. and she's a she's a child psychologist actually but she gave me several books and we would trade books back and forth. And one of them was called The Sociopath Next Door. And it's a crazy book. You should read it and check it out, you know. And like I said, I dealt with people who I was convinced were absolute sociopaths that were pretty much psychopaths. I mean, they were just in, you know, to do certain things. They were really no threat to me. I mean, they were no threat to me because I'm in a certain level of the food chain. But for others, they were, you know, I thought, man, these people are deranged. And I ended up actually bodyguarding Years later, after I got out of all that, Mm -hmm. like right when I first got out of it, I ended up bodyguarding a a girl who of a guy that we knew that was not really an associate of ours, but an associate of of an associate. Yeah, you you knew who he was. Yeah, absolutely. And he was deranged as hell. And I knew he was. And I ended up bodyguarding her. And he he tried to break in through the back door when I was there bodyguarding her. Oh wow. And I and I knew this guy had every intention of she wasn't lying about Doing him. Harm you know. to her. Yeah, well I pulled him through the door and, and things changed for him real quick. But the, the point was is <laughs> that yeah, it it just it was it could have escalated, but he saw who I was and he thought, holy crap, I'm in the wrong house now. And it was me and a buddy of mine named Squid and and so we we, we took care of him. You know, we didn't kill him. We just held him and we called the police mm-hmm. and we treated him gently with punches about the face, breast, chest, neck and head area. Um, but she, she Quick was she was added adjustment. Yeah. And, and so and then he was like, I just wanted to see my wife. And I'm like, with uh, with weapons? Like, I don't know what that was all about. So, yeah, obviously. But that, but this guy, you know, he was not a he was a he was a deranged, disturbed. disturbed guy. I mean, obviously he was. And she was telling us all this stuff about him. And I already knew some of it because I mean, I knew the kind of stuff he was into, like the kind of violence that he could bring, you know, but, but typically those kind of people though, they prey on weaker people. Mm-hmm. My, you know, my thing was that actually thing like dropped. going after other criminals. Yeah. Yeah. That was my thing. I always went after other criminals cause they had the money. So <laughs> I wasn't like going after, you know, college kids and tourists, you know, it was like, you know, I was just like that was my deal. You know, it was like that was as a when I was doing what I did, it was more like. But you just come across these people all the time that were just absolute nuts, not, nuts, nightmares. Yeah, and and you would you would see how their spouse would react in their presence, like their head down. Like I, I just thought to myself this one time, I was like, "This woman's life is sheer misery. This guy, there's no telling what he does to her." And you know, part of, part
2: of the problem too is that these people when thing they always have in common is a complete and total lack of empathy that's how they can do what they do and and go to bed at night eat dinner right after they murdered somebody um and that's what makes them so unbelievably dangerous but in addition to that because they lack normal human emotions at an early age they learn how to mimic emotions uh very very quite well, actually, they, they kind of slip up sometimes, but for the most part, they're, they're very sly at mimicking it. And so they can be extremely charming and extremely mm-hmm. convincing. And that makes them scary.
0: Yeah. Pretend. Nobody can do it all the time. Right. You know, no, you the mask comes yeah. down eventually. It always does. There's no, there's no hundred percent. And then you'll see a glimpse into what they really are and who they are. You know, just sneaky people too are like that. I've had sneaky people work for me and Yeah. You just, you just can't, they're just, you just can't trust them. You know, you gotta get rid of them. They
1: show you their true face.
0: Yeah. It'll happen. They'll slip up and then they're, and they perfect the art of lying their way out of stuff and Mm -hmm. things like that, because everything to them is an object. They look at people as objects.
1: It's scary to think about that. So go ahead. Keep going with this. Tell us more. Sorry. Sorry to banter Uh, on. No, no, no. I,
2: I find it interesting listening to you guys. I always do. Um, Wolf, I just have to add, though, your friends have by far the coolest names,
0: like Squid and Scorpion, and those are the best <laughs> nicknames I've ever heard. I gave those guys those names years ago, and, and like my brother, I've already told the story about how he got his, and of course, Squid, he hated his nickname, he was a SEAL. And so I, I, I would call him Squid, because Squids, you know, they... they yeah. The, they,
1: those are Navy men who swab
0: the deck. the deck, and he was like, I'm not a Squid, and I'm like, okay, Squid, so I just kept calling him that. And, then and, and you know what it is <laughs> when they first would would meet me, they always thought they could kick my butt, you know, and and, and so they would kind of be like, ah, if I could, t- I could take this guy, he's bigger than me, but I could take. Him. And then after a couple incidents, they'd see me, then they'd be like, okay. And so every one of them has told Sal that in the beginning, they thought, oh, yeah, I could probably whoop this guy, you know, because everybody wants to think they're tough or the toughest guy. So I had, to, I gave all these guys nicknames, you know, and, and there's only a few of them that don't have them. Um, because they really wanted them. And so I didn't give it to him. So, <laughs> but the ones that didn't, I gave them all nicknames that they really didn't want. It was the funny thing. It was like, like I named Loki because he's so mischievous and how you met him. Yeah, so met that's Loki. why we call Loki that. And then chief, you know,
1: mm-hmm. but then it grew on him. It just grew on him And so now they're like, yeah. That's, Chief, that's,
0: Chief was the only one of the only ones that had his own nickname.
1: Yeah, when he came on board.
0: And so I never called him Chief. I would call him Papoose <laughs> to, to insult him, kind of j- jab at him. But then eventually, you know, he proved himself. So we started calling him that. Scorpion is, is called that because of his, uh, he was born under the sign of Scorpio. Mm-hmm. That's where we got his. And then, of course, my brother was because unfortunately he was a Satanist at one point. He's given himself to Christ. But. He was at one time. And so we just called him Diablo because he was, you know, he was into the, he would always say, I don't worship the devil. I worship myself. And I was like, well, that's pretty weak deity, but whatever you want to (laughs) do, but that was how we got all those names. And then of course, squid didn't, you know, and then my friend Taz, because he kind of stuttered, you know, and then we just called, we called everybody by their, by their nicknames or whatever. But then there's a lot of them that don't have them. My friend bones, we called him that because he was, he was real skinny. Yeah, you know, and so yeah we just we had all these nicknames uh big john we called them pork chop mm-hmm. so awesome <laughs> yeah so yeah we did uh, and, and it's, it's funny because a lot of these guys like they've gone they've been in jail and stuff and then they come out and they're like they tell people like give them the nickname in jail and they're like no you're not gonna call them that and then they beat somebody up and they're like okay you can call yourself what you want <laughs> But <laughs> it's is kind of like one of those yes, things <laughs> yeah but anyways wow. that, that yeah that's the whole the whole deal behind that. I gave a lot of those guys their nicknames and uh, they just stuck, you know. And I know that a lot of their wives and stuff don't like those nicknames at all. They will not call them that and then they got a few of their friends that they met, you know, outside of our group whatever that would refuse to call them that. And there was just one guy in particular who would always do that with Squid. He would make it a point of not calling him by his nickname. And just, just to spite me, you know, he was such a little jerk. And and so, yeah, but anyway, th- th- that was, that's the whole deal with that. Anyways, we're going to move on. Yeah. <laughs> but if if you, if you listen to our show though, you would know that because I refer to these people because they've been with me during a lot of these weird things that have happened like in the house. The the anomalous stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, you do have the best stories. So that's why I'm here right now. <laughs> yeah, well, um, you got a good story too. Keep going. You
1: got plenty. So let's hear it. Sure. So
2: it, like we are talking, Talking about people being of this nature, being master manipulators, um, Herb Baumeister definitely led a complete double life. So, as as I mentioned, he was married for about 25 years, had three kids, but he was a closeted homosexual. Um, How his wife didn't know that, I'm not really sure because (laughs) when you watch video footage of him, it it seems pretty clear to me. I would think that would be kind of obvious. But I think that she uh, was in denial about quite a few. Things. Um, and, you know, the more I've watched interviews with her, I think that she's telling the truth when she says that she was not aware of the murders. But I also think perhaps um, that had a lot to do with her just turning the other way, too. Does that make sense? Not that she necessarily yes. knew, but she didn't, she didn't really try to investigate
1: somewhere. Right. She suspected yeah. something, but preferred to just look away. Right? right. Right. Yeah. I think maybe it was
2: almost on a subconscious level. I mean, not to say. Sub- psychoanalyzer obviously. Right. We well, Gacy. Don't really know for sure. But
0: well, hmm? G- Gacy was married like what two or three times, yeah. something to that effect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they, and they interviewed them, and they act like they didn't know anything. I mean, come on, he was stuffing yeah, bodies under the house.
2: Different. Yeah, that's different because the the police said that the house just absolutely
0: reeked. reeked. Yeah.
2: So how do you not? How do you explain that? <laughs> you not I mean, know that. Had, Does
1: her nose not work? That just doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't because, on the average, a woman's sense of smell
0: is sharper than stronger than a man's. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's that's interesting. Oh, yes, it is. On the average, I have a pretty strong sense of smell. Okay, I I don't know. I I do have a very strong sense of smell. I can smell things that most people can't. But I talked to my doctor about that, and he said that that's very common. Yeah. He said that there's like one in ten thousand people that have a really strong nose. And I, I don't know what that is, if it's just th- some genetic from way it's back genetic. or whatever, but I have a very strong nose. I mean, if somebody isn't clean or something, I can smell that, and it bugs the crap out of me. And my wife's always like, you have a very strong nose, because I could be standing behind somebody in line, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, oh, my God, you know? Yeah. And nobody else smells what I'm smelling, but I don't know what that yeah. is. Well, your name is
2: wolf so it kind of makes sense
0: oh my gosh just... the rumors about that and then the wolf thing has gotten just <laughs> yeah. it's a bit
1: comical <laughs> but so anyways let's let's keep going we'll get, I, i'm really i'm excited to hear about this Sure. So, and just so the
2: audience knows, like it's an extremely complex, really detailed case. So it, you know, we could sit here for eight hours or more talking about it. So I'm going to kind of skim over some stuff. Um, but if they want to, you know, do some Google sleuthing, you can find tons of information if they, if they want to know more about the case and there's some really good documentaries out there, uh, as well that I can recommend. But I just kind of want them to have some some background understanding because it'll make a lot more sense regarding some of the activities that we encountered. Um, so, yeah, so he he totally led a double life. And his wife's name, I think I mentioned that was Julie. And when she was away, he liked to go into Indianapolis and frequent the gay bars. Uh, and he used a fake name. Um, it was Brian. Oh, shoot. I'm blanking on the last name. I don't know if one of you guys can pull that up.
0: Uh, yeah, it was Brian something. He used yeah, that name over and over again.
2: Yeah, but I'm, I'm blanking on what the last name was. Sorry about that. Um, pardon me. And it's another reason that I think she probably should have known something was up uh, is that she admitted to police that in 25 years of marriage, they'd only been intimate six times. So mm-hmm. you'd think that'd kind of be a giveaway, but to each their own, I guess. Um so uh
0: basically Brian's I mean, how- smart. Yeah, yeah, thank Yeah, you and and I God. think I think he chose smart because he was try he tried he thought he was smart and clever too.
2: Yeah, they usually do. Mhm. Um however it was interesting cuz Julie did adamantly adamantly say that it was really hard for her to process and understand when the police told her they were investigating her husband for murder charges because he had never laid a hand on any of them her the kids he'd never gotten violent he didn't even really get angry so that's kind of interesting to note I don't know if he had a bunch of suppressed rage for that reason or, or what the deal was but she was absolutely adamant about that um, and she was pretty convincing in her assertions so like i said i i genuinely think that she probably didn't really know but I'm not sure how much of that is chalked up to to straight- up denial um, but getting back to the actual murder And and then um, I'll get into my team's findings as well. So uh, I think it was 1994, uh, Herb's 13-year-old son actually found a human skull in the forested area of the backyard. Um, And I'm not sure if you guys will be putting up some photos uh, of the property. But as I said, it's 18 acres. It's really huge. And in the back, there's a big open uh, grass area, the yard area. And then it's really dense forest. Um, It's very humid, lots of bugs, but just tons of trees and and overgrowth. And so I think uh, what his end was, was that the pool is on that ground level, and he liked to commit the murders in the pool. And I think a big part of that is that he was not a very big guy. So he would always choose victims that that were of slight stature so that they were easier to overpower and manhandle, basically. And then he would drag them out of the sliding doors from the pool and just dump them directly in the yard there. And some of them uh, he would burn at times. I'm not sure how he kept that hidden. Some he would just leave laying there so um but it it helps if people want to pull up photos of the property because it makes more sense as as to how it's situated with the pool there
1: as you were saying about the the um the property being very picturesque and then you were discussing the layout could you start from there or pick up from there, excuse me. Yeah. So basically I was just explaining
2: um the pool areas on the ground level, obviously, and they're sliding glass doors. And I think part of the reason that he enjoyed killing people in the pool was because he was not a very big guy and he he chose victims that were a very specific age and body type. Um and I think it was so that they were easier to overpower and easier for him to dispose of. So um, I, I'll get more into what he did in the pool, but just to explain the layout, he would drag them out of the pool and then drag them over into the forested area, which was uh, directly beyond that. And originally, now there's quite a large yard area, but originally the forest actually backed almost right up to the house. So that made it really easy because it's a it's an extremely dense forest. I mean, like tons of overgrowth and bugs and trees, and it's very humid, um, which I'm sure helped facilitate as well, not to get gross. Uh, and so um, that was kind of his emo with how he, he wanted to uh, dispose of them. And unfortunately, they've never actually found all of the uh, remains. Oh, and I'm sorry, I kind of forgot to finish what I was saying about his son. His son was out in that forested area, and he found a human skull. And being a 13-year-old boy, he put it on a stick and was parading around with it um and he showed his mother julie and she uh didn't know what to think of it so she asked herb and herb conveniently passed it off as saying that it was one of his father's um anatomy pieces because his father was a physician so he said he used it in his practice so they put it in the garage and then she said within a week he had done something with it disposed of it and she just she bought the lie and she didn't really think much Of it um even though the the son had discovered that right. and the whole area was just absolutely littered littered mm-hmm. with bodies
0: well also um, she's living in an eleven thousand square foot house so she probably just said i'm not gonna i'm just gonna be in denial about everything
2: <laughs> I don't know. yeah well I, and he had a comfortable life he earned a good living so mm-hmm. i you know it's probably likely that she had a comfortable life and didn't want to rock the boat maybe. yeah
0: that's what i that's what it sounds like to me i mean
2: I don't know. yeah so um it, so the this investigation was um almost exactly a year ago, so i'm I've, it's been a while, so I'm a little fuzzy on some of the details, as far as what they discovered though I think it was seven complete human remains or at least mostly complete that they could identify um but at least seventeen regarding all the bone fragments. there was about fifty five hundred bone fragments found out there uh but think that it was much much more they basically don't know how many but they estimate it it's somewhere in the 20s um and uh the person i'm going to tell you about here in just a moment is one of the killer's former lovers and herb had actually admitted to him uh that he killed more like 50 to 60 people he didn't know exactly how many so that's disturbing
1: wow that is creepy
2: yeah yeah it's a lot of people so he was pretty prolific the police also uh think that he was likely the i-70 strangler Mm -hmm. uh, which was another serial killer because the the same the victim was the same and it ended when he it
0: ended when he died Mm -hmm. yeah
2: Yeah, and it it changed like when he moved to fox hollow farm that's when the highway killing stopped so they're pretty much They can't prove it. They're pretty positive that that was him. So he was, he was quite a prolific killer. Um, but what he would do is he'd go down to these local gay bars and then he'd lure these young men back. And usually he'd use the, the ruse of, Oh, I have a pool. Do you want to come swim? Um, and the poor people didn't know that was, you know, the last swim they were ever going to take. So, uh, according to Mark, who I mentioned is one of his former lovers. And I I don't mind using his name because it's already out there uh, for public consumption. Um, he's basically the one that got away. That's kind of what he considers himself. And it's true as well. Uh, but, um, uh, Herb had told him when he brought him back to the to the property that it was actually his employer's property, and I assume that was to throw people off the scent in case anything went awry. I'm really not sure, but regardless, at the time, Mark didn't know that was really the killer's property; thought it was his his employer's. Uh, and then when he got one of his victims, you know, apply them with lots of drugs and alcohol to try to help incapacitate them. So uh, according to Mark, who um, I, I believe I already mentioned is uh, one of his former lovers, he told them, or or I'm sorry, Herb told him that that was his employer's property. And he lured them back there, um, basically saying, hey, I have a pool. Do you want to come party? And then he would apply them with lots of drugs and alcohol to incapacitate. And what I'm about to discuss is probably not appropriate for the kiddo, so just a heads up on that, you uh, might want to put your muffs on. But basically, it's important to talk about, though, because it was his method of um, killing these people, sadly. So Herb was into basically erotic asphyxiation, which I'm sure a lot of people have at least heard of in passing, um, where you cut off somebody's air supply and it's supposed to heighten arousal or something along those lines. Um, but he'd engage with that with his victims in the pool. Uh, however, when he did it to them, they would switch off. And when he did it to them, he didn't stop at a safe point. He would just keep going until they were dead. Uh, so, it, and he also frequently used a pool hose <laughs> to do it. I shouldn't laugh. It's just, uh, so creepy, but that same hose is actually still there to that day, uh, to this day. So it was laying there when we were investigating, which oh, was They didn't the- get rid of
0: it. Definitely creepy. Oh,
2: same cool oats. Yeah. yeah, Why would they they not get,
0: why would they leave it there? I mean, that's nuts.
2: Save money. Why would they buy a serial killer's house?
0: (laughs) Well, I thought, I thought that, that I'd read or something somewhere that, that they, they didn't know at the beginning or something like that.
2: At the very, very beginning, they hadn't heard that. But then, uh, Rob, um, the owner, he started. You know, I think I've heard something uh, about this property before and into it and realized, oh, this is that series I heard about on the news. I think right before they bought, they were actually aware of it, and then they realized why it was such a fantastic deal, um, but they decided to go for it anyway, so... So basically, according to Mark, uh, Herb had expressed to him that all the killings were accidental. He was really emphatic about that. Uh, He would claim that it just went too far. But instead of the 17 remains that were eventually found, he told Mark, um, I think I might have mentioned that part before, that he killed like upwards of 50 or 60 people. So really horrific. Um, And I should also mention that the authorities, uh, well, I I think I did mention that part. Sorry. Sorry. that Herb is like they're pretty much 100% positive he was the I-70 strangler and that makes sense with that number of killings so so basically long story short in the early 90s uh, the authorities began investigating uh, the deaths of a, a whole slew of gay men uh, they were all similar age, height, weight and they finally got a lead when one of Herb's sexual partners came forward which is that same man I mentioned that we were fortunate enough to actually get to interview for several days uh, Mark, um, which was a super interesting experience. Uh, anyway, he explained that Herb went by the name, uh, Brian, as I mentioned before at all the local gay bars. So everybody knew him as Brian because he was trying to cover his tracks. Um, and how they first met is Mark and Brian were standing in this gay bar and there was a poster of one of the missing, missing people, one of the flyers, uh, and they started discussing it, and Mark said that Herb made a remark about it, and he could tell he was kind of feigning concern, like it was obvious that he was faking it. But he didn't think a, a whole lot about it, but he did get a funny feeling about this guy. Uh, but for whatever reason, I don't know if it was due to alcohol or what, but he, uh, he decided to take up the offer and go home with him anyway. Uh, so without going into all the seriously lurid details, because Mark gave us a lot of information that isn't really appropriate to talk about on the show Um, but uh, he and Herb you know, engaged in those sexual activities that I've already somewhat outlined Mm -hmm. and um, Herb explained what he was into but for whatever reason Mark was lucky enough to be let go of at the end of the night and uh, he claims he was quite shaken by the experience but it really makes me wonder you know why was he the one that got away. One thing that's interesting to note though, is Mark is about six foot five. Uh, he has a slender build. I mean, it's not like he's a bodybuilder or anything, but I can't help but wonder if maybe um, his size had a little bit to do with that because he didn't quite fit the MO.
1: Kind of intimidated
0: Herb, is Possibly. more or less.
2: Yeah, that's just. That's just my own theory on it, but it's possible.
0: Or he was just Both not them. gonna he was just not gonna be able to 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 tackle him. I mean, do to tackle that big of a guy and do what he does, you know. That's he was just too big yeah. to drag and everything yeah. else.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So whatever Herb's reasoning was, um, Mark got to leave uh, surprisingly. But as I mentioned, he said he was really pretty shaken by the experience and felt like something was not quite right. So, um Without taking like 15 hours to dive into all, you know, all the finite details, suffice it to say that Mark caught caught on to what was going on. And uh, even though Herb denied any murders per se, and he just stated that he'd had some bad nights where things went too far, which is a weird way to look at it. Um, but he and Mark continued to see each other and eventually that's when Herb confessed to Mark, um, about the, you know, 50 to 60 people that he'd actually killed. Uh, and, um, by the way, the authorities, they never could actually find or identify all the remains. So to this very day, the new owners still find bones, uh, all the time on the property. They say it's a pretty frequent occurrence. And each time they do find them, they basically submit them to the authorities to be examined and, and cataloged and all that in the hopes of maybe identifying somebody. Um, another interesting thing, speaking of the new uh, owners, I like I said, I don't mind using names that are already out there on the Internet. And they've been in plenty of documentaries and everything. So uh, their names are already out there. But it's kind of ironic because their last name is Graves, <laughs> Robin Vicki Graves, which... Is a little morbidly humorous, I guess. And it's interesting as well because they're both forensic pathologists. So when they find these remains, it's quite easy for them to identify when it's human versus something else. Um, So so they try to be diligent about getting those turned into the authorities. But uh, I I can't imagine what it's like living on a property where you just happen to find femur bones and jaw bones and things popping up all the time. You know, talk about creepy.
1: Yeah, that's just... uh... (laughs) Well, at least you can say, you know, that, uh, the people living there now have some type of training, so there won't be that, uh, misidentification. That's for sure.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't help but kind of chuckle at the irony though. The last same graves and they're both forensic pathologists and they mm-hmm. just happened to buy this killer property. It's, it's kind of interesting, but they were both totally lovely people. Uh, they were really extremely gracious to us and, um, they bought the property back in 2006. Uh, basically I can't remember if I mentioned that part, but just because they got such a fantastic deal on it. I mean, this huge, beautiful palatial home. Um, but it was due to it's incredibly morbid history. So, um, they, they did know before they find, did the final purchase, uh, they found out what happened there, but they still went for it because it was just a deal. They could, and pass up so and the way they look at it being forensic pathologists is like you know death is just a part of life and yes it's very creepy but i think it doesn't bother them to the same extent that it would maybe people who don't work in an industry like that um that's just my theory uh and also when they bought the property it hadn't been occupied for quite a while because surprise surprise most people don't want to buy a serial killer's old dumping grounds
1: that's correct. Sorry,
2: that's, yeah. Sorry, that's my my greyhound is laying here and he's moving around, so he's probably making no <laughs> noise. It's okay. <laughs> stop. Wait, stop. <laughs>
0: um.
2: Yeah, good boy. Uh. So anyway, they had to put a lot of work into the property, and it looks just really gorgeous now. But my point is that when they got it, it'd been in disrepair and been abandoned for a while, and I tend to think that might have increased some of the activity too. It seems like a lot of times when properties are abandoned for quite a length of time it's it's almost especially when something that horrific happened there it's almost like it, it attracts even more I'm not sure if you guys in your research have found that but it seems to be a, a pattern that I've noticed
1: yeah that's people will have different reasons for coming around there and one of them like you said just a morbid curiosity others for various reasons just historical, or just to plain see it. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, and and as I mentioned, they get people there trying to. I don't know that they've had people directly try to break into the home, but definitely break break into the property, um, or they want to take some little memento or token because they're just really into the serial killer stuff. So,
1: oh yeah, it was. I mean, to exemplify a bit of that is when Bonnie and Clyde were, you know stopped, you know, by a hell of bullets. And when they brought the vehicle back into the nearest town, I try- i can't remember off the top of my head, you know, maybe it was Hollywood, maybe it was not, but I think there was a lot of truth into it that when people saw that they were still in the car, some people reaching in there trying to grab a memento from Bonnie and Clyde, you know, rip a piece of their clothes or a handkerchief from, from Clyde. I I don't yes. doubt it. It's been going. I mean, that type of phenomenon has happened around, you know, things like that. So it's understandable. I guess you have your groupies for every every facet of, of pop culture and, and history that that's ever been out there. So th- no surprise there. So, yeah. you know, that's really some interesting.
2: People, some people really take it to extreme I, I don't want to say way too much but you know like during a ted bundy's trial there were all these women like practically throwing themselves at him, wanting to marry him and i'm thinking you do know what he did to all those women but they just get it in their head i i don't understand it i really can't imagine wanting to be with somebody like that but there are people out there that are they're definitely into it
1: yes ma'am and so with that being said you know so much going on there, you guys did an investigation out there now let's let's get into that aspect of it all.
2: Yes, um I was just gonna go, go there so what's cool is from what I understood uh they actually don't allow many private investigations there anymore uh just because unfortunately, there's been some sort of less than professional people out there who weren't terribly respectful of you know their time and their property. I'm not sure exactly what what happened but um but they gave that impression. But um, our team leader, Richard, he's become pretty famous in his own right within these circles. Um, he's he's on TV a ton and radio, and he's written a whole plethora of books. Uh, so because of that, and I also think it's because he's got a cool British accent that probably doesn't hurt, uh, but he's got a reputation in the field. So basically, we get into places that a lot of people can't. So I felt really privileged to even be there in the first place since they don't do that anymore. Trying to think of where to go from there. Do you guys have any questions so far? I feel like I'm I'm kind of droning on about all the history of it, but I'm gonna get into the investigation portion portion next.
0: No, no, you're you're laying the groundwork, and and um, this subject is a, is a fascinating subject anyway for a lot of people. I I read a lot about these different people that were, you know, because to me it's fascinating that these people walk among us and can be, do the things that they do. And it's just like, it's, it's just crazy. I mean, I just don't know how to wrap my mind around it. Um, because yeah. you know, we and deal with monsters all the time. Society.
2: I'm yeah. sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's bizarre. Oh, I just said, and they can blend into society. I mean, it's really bizarre lead a somewhat normal life on the exterior.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's, we it's deal solid. with monsters all the time, but it, they're, they're not the human kind, you know? <laughs> Yeah, our topic yeah. don't doesn't usually,
1: you know, our discussions don't usually cover this particular type of material. So, yeah, we're ready to hear what you got. We're ready to hear it.
2: Yeah, well, like I said, it's an extremely complex case, so I don't want to go into... Too much detail, because it'll probably put people to sleep, but I just wanted to give a framework for, for kind of the history of the property. Uh, like I said, that plays into some of the the evidence that we gathered and the events that we had happen. Well, it leads so, into
0: the haunting, I mean, because th- that that will create it. <laughs> that will cause it, I mean. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um so I should mention, too, uh, this is really creepy, but it sort of adds to the mystique of of the weirdness that was Herb. Um, but the pool was actually lined with mannequins that he had set up. Yeah, I know. I, uh, read I, don't,
0: that, I, know.
2: Yeah, I don't know if they were from his thrift store, uh, that's what I assume, or if he bought them separately. But he would dress them up in wigs and clothes, and they're no longer Obviously, they they got rid of those things. Um, but I'm sure people can find photos of that um, online to see, you know, what it looked at at the time. And I think I actually sent you guys one photo of, of that as well, if you feel like putting it up. um, So that just added, you know, an exceptionally creepy feel to the whole pool area. And when Mark, uh, his ex lover, the the one that got away, asked him about it. Um, Herb, as I mentioned, had told him it was his boss's property and he said, oh, well, my boss, uh, put them there because he just doesn't want to be alone, which I think is kind of telling weird <laughs> in a weird, yeah. My guess would actually be that Herb probably wanted an audience, uh, for his, you know, nefarious activities, but an audience that, that couldn't talk about it later, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Not and... really.
0: I mean, but I guess to him it did. I don't <sighs> yeah i guess it made knows, sense to him right? yeah who knows i mean
2: people are not normal so um and one other kind of uh weird side note um people can actually find a video of this on youtube if they're curious about what her looked like and kind of his mannerisms and demeanor but this was before anybody had any idea that he was a killer and uh the city had been doing road spraying, you know, where they like paint the lines on the road right near his home. And, uh, someone sprayed over a dead raccoon that was laying there. And for whatever reason, um, Herb was interviewed about it. I don't know if he contacted the news or if they just happened to be there or or how the interview came about. Um, but he's talking to them and, uh, What's so ironic is that he's complaining about how shocking it is that the spraying crew didn't bother to move the dead animal, and then he talks about uh, that the poor thing deserved a better fate than that, and yet this guy has dozens of bodies laying in his backyard at the same time, but he's complaining about how this this poor little raccoon got sprayed over and how disrespectful it was. I just thought that was incredibly ironic.
0: (laughs) That just goes. He probably thinks it's cute too in his mind that he's getting over doing something. You know, oh, probably.
2: Yeah. I'm it's sure that that was pretty- part
0: of it. He was thinking that he he's being cute, or you know, and they always have their own little world going on in their head. <clears throat> Those kind of people, you know, and, and 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 the private jokes that they're that they're laughing at to themselves. I mean, like I said, I've dealt with sociopathic people, and you can just tell that that, that they're that way, and they, and they're always smug, and they think that they know everything, and they can. You know all these killers that have done these things, like Bundy and and Gacy, and and they always seem to have that same arrogant smug about him. I think to the day that that Gacy died, he never did admit that he killed those people. He even wrote a silly book that was about as silly as his persona as Pogo the Clown. It was a, a question of doubt. Like, what is this crap, <laughs> dude? They how are they going to question anything? And how's there any doubt when there's three thirty six thirty three people under your you know crawl space in your house?
2: Yeah. And you know what his last words were?
0: Uh, no, I don't. What were they?
2: Kissed my ass. Yeah. It goes oh, my to show God. Him. Yeah,
0: that sounds about yeah, right. Yeah, nice guy. Yeah,
1: definitely disturbed, deranged.
2: And it was, yeah, and it, it, regarding this raccoon incident, it was funny, too, because um, Herb, I remember, he specifically used a term that the employee who did it should have a quote-unquote chalk line drawn around his career. And I thought, well, that's pretty apropos wording.
1: Oh, wow, that's just yeah. Wow, yeah, <laughs> that's really
2: yeah, exactly. Mm. So um, basically, I'll get into our investigation and and those findings, but just to sort of wrap things up. Um, I'm trying to think of the easiest way to to kind of finish everything. Basically, it was thanks to Mark uh, that the authorities finally caught on to Herb because he felt uncomfortable, and there's a lot more detail to it, but he went to the authorities, so they started following him because uh, because Herb wanted to continue seeing Mark. He was still pursuing him, and so that gave them an, an opening to investigate further and figure out who it was. Um, but I think it was... Uh, 1996, that he was finally caught, except he was never actually apprehended. Instead, he uh, fled to Canada, and he committed suicide on the 4th of July that same year, 1996. Um, And he left a suicide note, but uh, it didn't make any mention of the murders, which is pretty unsurprising. Um, You know, as we talked about, these people are incredibly narcissistic and sociopathic, and have no empathy, so I'm sure it was I, I don't remember exactly what it said, but I'm sure it was just all about him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, I mean this is 5,500 bone fragments so this this is going to go on forever every time they find something trying to piece together who's still out there and I absolutely guarantee there's tons of bodies that, that will never be identified, which is really tragic.
1: Very much so. Yeah, it's, wow.
2: <laughs> yeah. And uh, um, I'll, I'll let your listeners kind of research this themselves, uh, because I've heard conflicting things about how they found his body, but there's some really strange stuff regarding the, the quote-unquote suicide that led a lot of people to think that maybe he had an accomplice, uh, because supposedly when they found him, he the ground had been smoothed out, and it was a gunshot wound, but last I heard they didn't find a gun, which, how does that happen? Uh, and then there was a bunch of dead birds that that their necks had been broken and were laid out in a circle around him in a really ritualistic way. So that's all pretty strange.
1: Very much so. It sounds very strange. Wow. So let's get into your investigation, because I want to hear the paranormal aspect associated with all this.
0: Not me. I'll see you later.
1: Yeah, so- <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Um, So when we
2: got there, first of all, you're just stunned by how beautiful the property is. Uh, But then the graves gave us a full tour, and the inside is as gorgeous as the outside. Um, It's kind of a lot of -of turn-of-the-century furnishings, uh, so it's it's beautiful, don't get me wrong, but that can sometimes kind of add a little bit to the creep factor, because there's definitely certain rooms that have a distinctly odd vibe. Um, but that was all the upper level and obviously they live there right now and we didn't want to disturb them. So instead they gave us unfettered access to the lower level, uh, which is where the pool room is. There's a shower room, um, and, uh, there's a game room with like a pool table and a full bar and it's quite nice. Um, and then there's patio doors in that game room as well as in the pool room that both lead out into the backyard. And that's where a lot of the activity happens. So. So we kind of focused
0: our investigation there. I just, how can you live there? How can they live there? I just don't, I don't even get that. I don't understand it. I can't wrap my mind around it. It's like, you know, all this stuff happened there and it's haunted as heck. And you're living there. I mean, I would never feel comfortable, comfortable. I couldn't uh-huh. watch TV and like, you know, that something's creeping around. I mean, it's just, you you know, it's there. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's just there. You have an audience. It might even be the sick, you know. Little turd himself watching you, you know I mean, what the heck i mean it's it's yeah. amazing yeah exactly I don't know, I just couldn't do it
2: yeah, and, no, and and that leads me to what I was going to talk about about some of the experiences that they've had. um they have actually had multiple sightings, uh Vicky, uh, one of the owners, as well as one of their tenants, Joe, have both seen the same. Basically, it's a legless man. It's a it's a full body apparition, except it's not a full body. The legs are missing and he's wearing a red shirt and he'll be walking across the property and then just walks directly into a tree and poof, disappears. Um, but the rest of him seems completely solid. And as I said, multiple people have seen that. So it certainly seems like that's probably one of the the, uh, the victims. And later on, they actually, after Vicky and Joe saw that, they decided to do a little more investigating into the history of the property. So they started watching documentaries and looking at photos of the victims. Um, and I'm not sure what the young man's name was, but one of the victims, they actually identified as the same person that they'd seen in the red shirt.
1: Not not surprising, I mean, due to the fact that it's a um, a traumatic death and it's not natural. So... Makes sense that the the bad energy associated with that trauma is still you know tethered is the word I'm looking for tethered to that place. So that's
0: how did they get the bone fragments? Was that because he smashed them up? I thought I thought that's what it was that he had he would wait until they were defleshed or something like that and he smashed them up or I thought I'd read that somewhere.
2: You know, there was a burn pile uh, out at the property. He would burn some of the remains but then my understanding was that some of them he just drug out there and basically just left rot and it's it's not to be gross but it's quite humid there so that definitely facilitates the decomposition process um and i mean like i said his son found a full human skull just laying there so he, he it seems like he was so bold that he didn't really go to a whole lot of effort trying to cover things up
1: obviously he had uh, already concluded that Hardly anyone was ever going to go out there because it's his property, and it was such a big property, and he had avenues into it. He'd had them all, for lack of better words, he'd had them all shut down to where nobody could go out there and be mm-hmm. snooping around, except, you know, in his case, it was his son. But you know, keep that, yeah. keep that in house, I mean, you know.
2: Yeah, but your wife and kids go out there. It's like yeah. how how gutsy can you be? Yeah, yeah. Maybe he figured
1: maybe he figured he could keep. Uh, I'm sorry, maybe he figured he could keep that under wraps if they. Potentially found something. Who knows?
2: Yeah, or maybe it was that subconscious thing where they say sometimes people want to be caught. You know, who mm-hmm. knows?
1: That's right. Yeah, very true. So,
2: yeah, so they, um, without going into a ton of detail, they had a, a bunch of other experiences weird noises, electrical problems. Uh, one really common occurrence was that animals seemed to be reacting to something that nobody else could see, uh, especially dogs. They would bristle up and start growling really intensely. Um, and they usually, you know, kind of sense something was around when when that was happening. Um, but after they saw the the half body apparition, I guess you can call it, um, they were concerned because at first they actually thought that there were people breaking into the property. Uh, like I said, some kind of serial killer groupies. So they actually installed a whole bunch of cameras to monitor things. Um, and uh, I don't, as far as I know, they've never caught anything on camera but they were just kind of trying to get some peace of mind about people actually breaking in and then their tenant joe leblanc um again i don't mind using his name because it's already out there as well in a lot of documentaries
1: yes but
2: he he had multiple encounters and some of them were super super weird um and i mean like seeing total full body apparitions he lived in the upper floor of the carriage house and he had a, a couple instances where there was absolute pounding at the door and I mean like pounding pounding and he'd call out and ask if it was Rob or who it was and then he would finally get the guts to open the door there'd be absolutely nothing there and it's really steep stairs leading up to that door on the upper level so there's literally I mean I've been up there there's literally no way somebody could run away in the amount of time after the knocking stopped before he opened the door but one time when that happened After the pounding, the door actually flew open so hard that wood chips just flew all over the apartment, and suddenly there was this guy, a full-bodied apparition, and he was breathing heavily, and he had a look of just abject horror on his face. And Joe said that it was very clear that it looked like he was running for his life, like he was trying to get away from something. Um, And another interesting thing to note is that Joe found knife marks in the wall of that apartment. So obviously we don't really know what happened, but the theory is that this was one of the victims who got out of the pool and was trying to get away um, and Ran into that apartment and Herb finished him off with a knife instead of his usual method because there's no, you know, I've seen them and there's really no explanation for why those knife marks are in the wall like that other than the obvious. Uh, And he actually saw that apparition on more than one occasion. And he said that there's something called residual hauntings where it's almost like, I'm sure you guys have heard of that, it's almost like an imprint um, of some kind of traumatic event or big event or situation. Sort of plays on a loop. Yeah. But it doesn't seem to have, yeah, it doesn't seem to have independent consciousness. Well, this full body apparition that he saw actually stopped and sort of took a step back when it saw Joe, like it, it recognized that somebody was looking at him. Yeah. It seemed like it was in a, a real time thing, like it was a, a conscious entity. Correct. And he said it was just, just, just as solid and real as if a regular person had been standing there. That's um, amazing. The door, yeah. And the doorknob would turn the door knocker. He said, went up perpendicular to the door one time and just floated there for a minute and then crashed down. Um, I mean, he had all kinds of crazy stuff happen in there That's... and, hmm. uh, yeah, and again, they found photos of a victim who looked the same as as that full-body apparition that he had seen on more than one occasion running through his apartment. Um, and Joe was actually one of the ones that found a full, intact femur bone. And he said it was just laying there, almost like he was meant to find it. He, he almost felt like one of the victims sort of placed it there in a strange way. Um,
1: kind of to lead and- him there, huh?
2: Yeah, you know, I'm not really sure. That that was just the feeling that he got. But, um, oh, and then one last incident that he had. I mean, there's been more than just these, but these are the big ones. But he was in the pool with a friend of his, and um, they're swimming and having a good time and not thinking anything of it. And he said suddenly he distinctly felt hands around his neck, and his friend reported watching him. He put his hands up around his throat like he was trying to, to grab at something. And he said the look on his face was just absolutely horrified. He said, you know, sometimes people joke around. He's like, he, Joe was not joking around. He was like fighting for his life. And he said that whatever this was, was trying to, it felt like, dra- choke him or drag him under the water, which obviously makes perfect sense considering what happened in the pool before. So he got out and never wanted to swim in there again.
1: I don't so- blame him.
2: The owners have definitely had, no, so the owners and Joe have definitely had some uh, very, very weird stuff happen, that's for sure. Uh, But I guess I'll, if it's okay with you guys, I'll get into um, some of the stuff that we had happen. Oh, sure, yes. So, and I've mentioned this to you guys before, but um, just for the listeners, some of the information I can't go into a ton of detail about, just because I'm kind of fuzzy on the confidentiality of, of certain people and things like that. Um, but I'll, I'll try to go into as much detail as I can. So one of the most interesting aspects, uh, other than meeting, you know, Rob and Vicky and all of that was meeting Mark, that former lover. Yes. He was re- really generous with time with us. He spent several days with us. We were there for four days total. And, um, he led us through the forest and he was pointing out, well, there was a body here and there was a body there and there's still a body here And we're kind of thinking, how do you know this? (laughs) Um, But he's one of those people, he's a very interesting character. Uh, And I don't want to say anything disparaging, because he was actually, he was extremely polite, and like I said, very generous with his time and really helpful. But have you ever met one of those people who they're, they're really good at telling stories, and it's kind of hard to differentiate when they veer over into complete exaggeration and fabrication, and then they veer back into the truth? and you're sort of trying to muddle through it. And he was kind of one of those people. So I don't know how to take some of the things that he said. Um, for instance, one interesting thing was he told us that Herb was part of a, a satanic cult or coven or whatever you want to call it in the area that had a ton of members. Um, I'm not really sure if we can believe that or not, but you know, take it for what it's worth. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, he took us through the forest, went into really graphic detail about everything, a lot of which I I really can't really go into here. Um, And uh, he had stories about bodies like being strewn around in really gruesome ways. Again, I'm not sure how much of that to believe. Uh, He went into really like lurid details about their encounters in the pool, if you catch my drift. Yes. Um, (laughs) 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 And uh, like, Suffice it to say we were basically just all kind of trying to monitor the expressions on our faces. So we didn't give away any like disgust or horror because you want your, your interview subject to feel comfortable and to continue yes. the flow of dialogue. Um, So you, you don't want to have this horrific look on your face, but it was really hard because some of the stuff right. he was talking about was just unbelievable. Yeah.
1: You don't want them to shut down. You want them to keep talking.
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, um, sounds we also, like- um, Oh, go ahead.
0: Sounds like the guy was like kind of, he was enjoying talking to you guys. Yeah.
1: yeah, He's enjoying the
0: notoriety. Yeah. yeah, He likes to be a part of all that and just be there in the middle of all that crap.
2: Yeah. I think he gets um, a lot of gratification, his personal identity by being the one that got away and being within the vicinity of, of. Um, the notoriety of that case, basically. And uh, another weird thing, he went out of his way to befriend the new owners. So that's how we were able to, to meet this guy. And he also went out of his way to befriend one of the victim's uh, mothers, which I find incredibly weird during he was having an affair with the guy that killed her son but for whatever reason i guess they became friends and he said he still visits her to this day so take it for what you will but i I don't know i personally find that pretty strange
1: Uh, wow (laughs) that's all i got to say for that one It's just wow it's amazing yeah and creepy of course
2: and uh one other quick um person that we met that was really interesting So uh, there was um, the property owner is friends with a guy who is, um, I know some people don't believe in that. He says he's a psychic, and uh, there were some things that led me to believe he definitely has some kind of a gift. Mm -hmm. Um, But but a self-proclaimed psychic, really great guy, and I won't mention his name because it's not already out there. Uh, but he agreed to come by and kind of do a reading and give us his impression of things. And usually our team is really pragmatic and we try to take a super uh, analytical scientific approach, but we were still interested to hear his opinion on things. And what's especially interesting is how he wound up uh, becoming friends with the owner of the property. He actually didn't even know about the murders or the the story of Fox Hollow whatsoever. Yes, But he said that Uh, He said that um, these young male spirits were coming to him and literally told him, get in your car and start driving, basically, and we'll tell you where to go. I'm paraphrasing. Mm -hmm. So he's like, okay. So he got in his car and started driving, and they led him to Fox Hollow Farm. Now, when you get to Fox Hollow Farm, there's a really long, winding road that, that you have to take through the 18 acres before you get up the house. So it's actually extremely rare for, for anybody to be up at the front gate. Mm-hmm. And it just it just so happened that right when they supposedly led him there was right when Rob happened to be standing at the gate. Um, I think he was repairing something. If, whatever reason, he was standing there at the gate. So the psychic got out and said, I know this is going to sound really strange, but um, I was led here by spirits. And, uh, and if the psychic is to be believed, which honestly, he, he in my Impression seems like a very honest, uh, trustworthy person. Right. Uh, but if he to be believed, he knew nothing about it. So they actually wound up becoming friends and, uh, the psychic and Mark do not get along. The psychic says that Mark really stirs up activity there and is basically really bad for Fox Hollow farm. Um, um, and judging by the way that Mark kind of um, gets a lot of his identity from it, I think there's probably something to that. Some
1: ties somewhere. They probably recognize his aura or something.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he he was very diplomatic. He didn't go into any detail about, um, you know, his opinions mm-hmm. on if Mark had any involvement or anything like that. Right. But it was still interesting to, to get his perspective. So we asked him, you know, is, is there any... Um, presence of herb still here the killer mm-hmm. and he said uh his sense was that herb's soul is basically far away like it, it i guess you could say it's sort of in a form of lockdown it's not even able to enter this realm so he said he didn't think herb was haunting that place at all but he said that uh, a few of the victims were yes uh, and he also he also said because of the horrific things that had happened there that um it had attracted an inhuman in- of some sort
1: Oh. and wow. there are
2: other yeah there are other people that have reported that they thought um that there was something not human there specifically out in the forest where the bodies were left
0: yeah but i think that that happens i think there was something attached to him that makes them do these things because i like i said i've known some people that were really really not good people and there's something there around them you can feel it like i, I can feel spiritual entities when they're around a lot of times, especially when they're negative, you can feel it and there's oh, something yeah. that follows people around. And I think that there's something that attaches itself to these serial killers, you know, or, or even people that are drug abusers, you know, they, there's something that, that it's, attaches itself.
1: Yeah, like a, like a, for lack of a better words, like a black cloud. That yeah, follows like a,
0: well, like a parasite, yeah, a parasitic entity yeah. That, that's demonic 100%. and it, and it lives vicariously through these people. I think that that's what was going on with Baumeister. I really do. I think that, you know, him, uh, Dahmer, Gacy, Bundy, they all had something attached to him. Henry Lee, Lucas. Yeah,
2: Yeah, and for instance, with Bundy, uh, people that were close to him, he would have a a visible, like visceral change in his demeanor. His eyes would completely shift and look different. And some people said he actually, when he went into that killer mode, he started exuding a foul smell at the same time which oh. I always found that really fascinating. It's he like looks reptilian.
0: Else.
1: Yeah, there's there's the whole thing behind the – the whole thing associated with the reptilians is that they shape-shift. And then, of course, if uh, Wolf talked about it, his experience with that individual that had reptilian in him, or I don't know how that worked, but that, yeah, he saw the eyes and sha- uh, the, Whoa, the gosh, eyes shifted. Say again?
2: I haven't heard that story. I yeah. want to hear that.
0: <laughs> oh, about my story? That's a- with the guy with the eyes yeah. shifting? The nightclub, yeah. And, and you know what? And I had like seven, eight of my guys that were around th- for that incident. And it was just a – I told that story. I, we had some I, some witnesses that we interviewed, me and my wife and, and my nephew interviewed about two days ago. And we talked about that story extensively. I actually go into more detail when I told them than I did in any of the interviews I've done or any of the uh, shows I've done. The guy was incredibly strong, and it was hard to get control of him. And when I was pushing him out the back doors, there was like a ridge on his back.
1: And he wasn't muscular. He wasn't
0: Yeah, he was muscular, but he wasn't like muscular like, muscular. He like was about a, my height, but right. he was nowhere I had about hundred pounds on the guy.
1: Yeah. Yes, okay, yeah. To be clear, he wasn't he wasn't bodybuilder shape or anything like that. He was just tight wound, kinda mm-hmm. wiry, kinda tall, slender guy, you know, tight wound, but to say that he was like a, a, a bodybuilder luferigno type, he wasn't.
2: Boy, that's crazy. There are so many stories out there. You know, it's a hard pill to swallow to think of, like the whole David Icke thing of there's reptilians running the planet. You know, I'm I'm not sure that I um, can totally be on board with that. I don't really know what I think about it, but I'm, I'm definitely open-minded. Um, I'll put it that way. But there are a lot of really credible people People that say that they've seen people shift, that their eyes completely changed mm-hmm. or their appearance briefly completely changed. And it really does make you wonder.
1: Yes. And a lot of these serial killers, it, it's quite possibly that that uh, many people will. Uh, I think many people who, who are researching the whole reptilian and shape-shifting things, I, I think many of them would be willing to to postulate that a lot of these serial killers are shapeshifters in disguise,
0: for lack of better words? Uh, well, reptilians in general, like like when we've heard stories about them, like the the woman that we did the abduction story, we haven't even released that one yet. No, we haven't. It will be in a, in in, in three, the near future, three, in three weeks, I think. Yeah, we we have everything slated for like we're way ahead right now, but but this this woman had told me and a colleague of mine that 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 she had been abducted and the, that it was. One thing I get, the way it sounded was none of it was good. It was nothing good about any of it. It was yeah. horrible and horrific. But when she was being abducted by the, the regular, the Greys, which mm-hmm. she described almost as biological robots, mm-hmm. you know they were just very matter of fact, almost mercenary in what they did. But that the reptilians right. were rough and they were very uh, aggressive, aggressive and rapey. I guess. you say. Yeah, there you go. For lack of a word. Yeah, words. they were just very horrible, and they and so, you know, I don't doubt that there could be a reptilian bloodline. I've always believed in that because you know, and of course, me when I fought that guy that grabbed my bartender, you know, he grabbed a bartender that was six foot five and weighed about two ninety. You know, this was a big dude that he grabbed and he just yanked him over the bar like it wasn't nothing. And I was sitting there talking to a friend, old friend of mine. And he said, Hey, and he just kind of points. And I look and I see this going on and he had come into the bar and it started mess with the girl that he was going out with. She had a, a, speaking of horrific, she had a horrific story to tell us about this guy. She claimed that during, um, intercourse or whatever, coitus, that they, yeah, that they that he would change that his eyes would you know and, and that he had tried to choke her and almost well he she blacked out at one point so she that's when she quit going out with him so then he began this stalker rampage with her and then it it culminated with me man I, I hit this guy enough times to knock out five people so it was just ridiculous how strong he was and how much damage this guy could take without really you know, and so it was just weird. I mean, it was just a weird situation. I talked about it on D Doss' show on the BDRP, and I had to like like, get a choke on him and finally put him out and take him out, you know, and he just popped right back up outside, you know, and in and, and his, you know, there were, there were several bouncers outside, and then I went back inside and they were outside with him, and they said that his eyes, one of my bouncers told me his eyes looked like cat eyes, which sounds reptilian to me, yeah. you know. And then my brother and Scorpion and a few other people just said, yeah, his eyes looked like they changed. So, yeah, I don't know wow. what that is. I mean, I, I didn't see that. It, it it happened right in front of me while I was striking him. And my, my brother was right next to me. My brother claimed that was when he first saw it. Like he looked right down and saw it happen when I was raining punches down this dude because I was trying to get him to release the uh, bartender that he had yanked who was, like I said, a big dude. And I was really shocked that he was able to pull him across the bar like that, the strength he had, you know. And <clears throat> when I tried to, at one point, hold his arm down and restrain him, he was almost lifting me up with that arm. And it was it was just really, really weird. I've never had a situation like That's- that before. I mean, it was just weird. And I had confronted him a few times, you know, before because he— I just didn't like that he would he would go to the back of our club and like creep around and I'm like what are you doing back here why are you back here you know in the end he came back, uh the, like two days later and then he and he gave me um like a like a an envelope an envelope to give the girl she was from New Zealand and he gave it to me and I said no I'm not gonna give it to her you you know you're this she, she has a restraining order on you now and you can't you know so he started uh, kind of becoming confrontational and I was standing there next to oddly enough a bouncer <laughs> named mondo or mondo and he was an Argentinian guy he was a real big weightlifter guy a good friend of mine that, that worked at the bar at the door at Amazon and while we're sitting there having this conversation the uh bar manager comes up and they're both standing there and I'm, I'm standing in front of their bar which is right next door to mine so th- this guy we're standing in front of the bar that's next to my my club my nightclub which is a big old nightclub, you know, and the fight had happened like on Thursday. And I guess this was like Saturday or something like, I don't remember, like or the mm-hmm. fight was Wednesday and happened Saturday. I don't remember a few days later, he came up and we were standing in front of that other bar. And while we're talking, you know, I said, look, I don't know what you are or what that was that that that, that you put on me because, and, and, and this is what happened. There was like a filmy, uh, oily substance oily sup- yeah you know about it yeah oily substance that was on my shirt especially the left side of my shirt so I went to the back and I had this Jamaican guy who's a good friend of mine that worked there and I had taken my shirt off and he was like kind of sprayed me down with you know and he was like him and my friend Taz were like trying to wipe it off of me and they're like what is that and they like, you know, they're black guys. And they were like, what the hell does mom f do? You know, they're like, what did this dude do? Like, what is this? And they're trying to help me get it off. And I'm like, I, I don't know. And they're, and they're in shock that it was like, that he was able to take that kind of a, a punishment from me because they'd never seen anybody hang with me like that. And I said, especially when you got somebody down you're just beating on them mm-hmm. and he just will not let go of this other guy. And his anger was so, and then, and then when I pulled him away from the guy and his shirt came up, he had another shirt underneath that and another shirt underneath that. And this was like in summertime, and so I'm going like, why? And he was always wearing long sleeve shirts. I kind of thought maybe he was a drug addict or something. But then when I started wrestling with this dude, we ended up like locking, you know, rolling around, you know, fighting. Mm -hmm. Like we got into a kind of a wrestling match for a minute there. He felt I felt like all this weird bone on him that was just I don't even know how to describe it. When I pushed him out the door, I felt the ridge on his back, and I, I I don't know what that is. And and Mondo has actually talked to you know, a few of the people that were there and he knows oh, that yeah. this is a true story. Um But, you know, it was just weird. I mean, like, how do you explain that? So I've always thought that there might be some sort of connection there with these reptilian. uh I don't know. Maybe they have a reptilian bloodline or something that, you know, and, and they just have this murderous rage nature about them. They don't they're callous. They don't care if, you know, reptilians, you know, they, the reptiles in general, they don't really have much empathy for any other creature creatures. Yeah. I mean, and, and they're not an empathetic about you know, it, you know.
1: The whole thing behind the reptilian alien race is that we're not one of them, so we're like cattle more or less we're 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 lower form of life, yeah. so why really care about us that's even if they have empathy, so yeah, they don't
0: have and it so you yeah.
1: can look at it that way,
0: but this guy was definitely and there was he had an accomplice too. There was a guy that called himself Omar who claimed that he was Arab, but a couple of the Arabs that were there they they were questioning him about his origins and where he came from. And he was giving him some bullcrap story about being from, uh, Syria. And there were some guys that were, that were Lebanese and one that an Assyrian that worked at the pizza shop that we had upstairs and they were asking him and he was giving them these names of these places. And they were like, nah, you're not from there. The, the pizza shop guy was like, I know where that's at. I'm, I know that's a small village. You're not from there. So the guy's story kind of shifted back and forth. This is very bizarre. And then he, then people heard him. They claim to not know each other, but people heard him saying to the to this other guy, calling him Daniel when, when he his name was supposedly David. Here's another weird thing, too. Yeah, they they both spoke, like, a plethora of languages. Like, I had a guy that lived with me. He was named, his name was Jerome. He was a German guy, and he's a good friend of mine. He doesn't care if I mention him, but he he was, like, in shock that they spoke fluent German, both of them, and they both spoke three different dialects of Arabic. They both spoke fluent Spanish. Of course, the one guy that David, the guy who claimed his name was David, he was, said he was family was from Spain. Of course, conveniently they were from somewhere else where they had no family <laughs> around. And uh, my friend Taz claimed to have seen that guy Omar's eyes change color when they got into an argument. And wow. of course, Scorpion has told you, Armando, yeah. that the, the eyes were like yellowish and the green. Mm-hmm. They both had green eyes. But that the yellow part was the outside of the. I never saw that. I never saw any of that until. But then it was until that fight that happened when he grabbed the bartender yeah. that was trying to protect the girl that he was after. And when he was standing in front of this this other bar, Amazon, he was talking about my female, my female. Mm-hmm. When he was saying that, and those guys that were standing next to me, they're going like, "What is going on?" Because they weren't there. They have no idea what 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 has yeah. happened. When this guy walked up, I was standing there talking to Mondo, and this dude just walked up. And, I, and then he's going like, what is this guy talking about? Because this dude was saying, you know, my female, you, you interfered with The me, way he my was female. referencing her. Yeah. He's like, are you, are you trying to, to yeah, be with my female? Weird. And I'm like, I'm trying to be with your female, dude. No, she works for us. What are you talking about? She just don't want to be with you, you know? <laughs> and then he was all like, well, you assaulted me. That was very impolite what you did. I was like, you grabbed my bartender and yanked him over the bar. He goes, he grabbed my arm while I was talking to my female. Oh, wow, he was just a weird guy, and and I and he was always like uh he was always very polite, mm-hmm. but like these serial killers, you know, we're talking about how they're always polite and they're phony, they're and fake the
1: facade. Yeah. It's a
0: facade, and I never liked him. And I actually cornered him in the back one time, and I had I had told him I said I, I don't like you. I just I had a bad feeling about him, and I, and I had already heard a little bit that that one of the female bartenders had said that this girl had come in with a bruise on her upper arm and. Didn't really want to talk about it. And so I confronted him and he was all like, it wasn't me. We were, we were down at the park and she fell or some bull, you know, I don't remember what it was exactly. He said something about her falling down, gave up some, some stupid story. And I'm like, and he just kind of looked at me with this smirk all the time, this smug smirk on his face. And of course squid and everybody else said the same thing. They thought something was wrong with the guy. Um, but it was a little deeper than that. And they, they, the fact that they could speak French and they could speak uh, German. We had a lot of different types of people that were different languages out of that club. than and,
1: the average person. Well, the
0: Lebanese there, they spoke French and Arabic. And yeah. then the Syrians and, and, and the Moroccans, they all spoke different, lang- different dialects of Arabic. Mm-hmm. These people <laughs> could speak it fluently. He could speak German fluently. Like, how do you know all that? How do you speak Spanish fluently? How do you know all that? There was a guy that was from Belgium. So he was talking to him and he goes, there, there, This guy's French is. Is clean. It's clean, flawless. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of Belgians are bilingual; they'll speak German yeah. and French because they're almost like a mixture of yeah. Germans and French. Uh-huh. But he he could speak two two languages, and he was telling me this guy's German and French is flawless. Like, how do you explain all that? You know, there, I believe that these people walk amongst us, and I'm I'm not I'm not trying to say that all serial killers are some sort of reptilians or anything like that. But there's something to it. I mean, there's something to it. I don't I don't I don't know what the connection is, but. You know, this guy, he was a, obviously a stalker, harasser, and his girlfriend told us some other things that I didn't even want to get into, and she was just in hysterics, and, you know, and was scared to death of him. Um, she had a dog that she had gotten, and she, last I talked to her was, you know, like several years ago, and uh, my brother, I think, kept in touch with her for a little while, but she had a dog, and the dog didn't like him, so the dog disappeared. Hmm. You know, just weird stuff. and maybe then he and then, ate the dog. I, who knows, dude? Who knows? <laughs> but this isn't a show about reptilians. This is just a link there that yeah, could yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, It's just a show about the paranormal. So, I mean, maybe there's a link to these. To these uh, the whole shape-shifting thing. Well, maybe they walk amongst us and they're callous and they don't care and they're sadistic and evil and they just do what they do. I mean. That's it.
1: That, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. plausible. Very plausible.
0: And after, after a period you know, of time of dealing with these kind of people, you can look in people's eyes And see pure evil. I mean, you can just see it. You can see uh, psychopathic evil within people, and you can look at them and tell that they have done. They have killed people. Yes, you can tell that they have done things, and you can just look at it and see it. I dealt with it so often with these type of people that drift in and out of those kind of bars and clubs. You know, you just get you don't get the best of the best. You're getting really rough trade, and you bottom can, of the
1: barrel a lot of times.
0: Yeah, you you can pick out the good ones, and mm-hmm. and the, and the ones that are just that. Like my guys, I, I cherry pick the good ones, you know. But th- these dudes that you know, they would come and go, these drifters and run of the mill people. Yeah, they're just not you know, not the best, not the
1: best stock that you want, you know, in and around your people. He you
0: wasn't the only one that was. There was another guy uh, called himself Jason. I'll never forget him. And he stayed at our house for about a week because I felt sorry for the guy. And he jokingly said that people thought people think I'm a lizard. Like he would joke about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was weird that he, he rode his motorcycle here all the way from California and he was very odd. And then one day a year, like maybe a year after he was working with us, we had, we hadn't seen him about six months. And then this girl that he had lived with for a while said that he was very weird and that he could eat abnormally large amounts of food, which we kind of witnessed a little bit of. Mm-hmm. And she was like, yeah, he could eat like five boxes of macaroni and like an entire chicken. Like it was crazy. And he, he was a tall, s- tall, skinny guy and he kind of looked lizardy, and he had green eyes. Oh. <laughs> so I mean, what is that? <laughs> yeah. He didn't do anything physical, aggressive or violent at all to us at all. I mean, of course he had a house full of guys that would have just killed him, but... He was very odd. And, 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 you know, one day my brother was like, dude, what are you, like a, a snake? Because of all the food he could eat. And then he was like, well, my friends do th- think that I'm, I'm a lizard. They call me a, the lizard or something, some joking thing like that. Mm-hmm. And I look at him and I'm thinking, eh, you know, and this was after the whole thing with the other guy. So I'm thinking, who knows, you know, yeah. I was kind of on my guard. And so I, t- I gave him, I said, hey, dude, you've been here for four or five days. You haven't paid anything, you know, it's time to go, you know. So he left. We didn't have to fight him or anything like that. But it was just, you know, weird that that that, that he said that. And it was just – he always acted very weird.
1: Truth is stranger than fiction. And some of these things, um, you know, when you're dealing with paranormal, you, you can't rule out
0: anything. hardly
1: anything. You know, some things maybe, but the average stuff can't really rule it out because it's just – that's why it's the paranormal and that's why it falls under the umbrella. Yeah,
0: it's not normal.
1: So that guy, you know, <laughs> you know, referencing again what you were saying, Anna, about that he would these people get this look on their face and you reference Ted Bundy as well. So it's
0: yeah, it's There's even a picture of Bundy where it looks almost like you can you kind of see his eyes. There's like a picture I've seen. I don't know where, where it was or what I'd seen. I can't tell you exactly, but I just remember like flipping through a book one time and it was like him. And you could see kind of this look in his eye that looked very reptilian. Like it just looked, he looked very lizardy. You know, I just, I don't know. That was my opinion. Uh, yeah, and, Andre, you know what I'm talking about?
2: Yeah. He's <clears throat> normal in that photo. And it's beyond just being an obvious psycho based on what he did. But, um, but yeah, people said he would switch. Like there was a switch in there and uh, there was something else that would come through. And it I 100% so agree with you guys. I do think these other beings are, are definitely walking among us. My question is why, you know, what are they doing? Is it some kind of hybrid like breeding program? I think or it's hybridization. Is it for a takeover or Well, that
1: was that? Hypo- that hypothesis is out there about the, 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 um, interbreeding thing and and uh hybridization hybridization that that there there's Look lots. at Andre
0: Chikatilo. Yeah. If you heard of him, he was yeah. the Citizen X. most most, yeah. Citizen most X. uh most prolific. prolific serial killer uh Child 44. If you ever get a chance with Tom Hardy, mm-hmm. that is a great movie. Check that out. Me and my yeah. wife checked that out the other Citizen day. Citizen X and,
1: was that other one that was made in the I believe the late 70s early 80s. <clears throat> Donald Sutherland is in that movie. Steve, the The actor Stephen Rea plays the lead investigator that that basically put all these clues together and went after Chickatea and it was, it was,
0: yeah. He killed over a hundred people that, yeah. I mean, you know, w- uh, little boys and little girls. Yeah, He, he was he so care. weird. I mean, he was just a sick, uh, and there's a, there's a video where he's like turning his head kind of looking all dazed, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember looking yeah. at that and my brother was like, look at that reptile. He just looked like a reptile, you know? I mean, he just had this look about him, you know, that no, dead eyed look.
2: Literal- for the trial which is says a lot
1: they put him in a cage yeah like, yeah, a yeah
0: freaking yeah. sicko I mean, he,
2: was, he was horrific as pretty much as evil as you can get my question is is it like a chicken or the egg thing i mean i 100 percent think some of these people if not all of them are possessed because your average human being just is not capable of such horrific acts nor are they driven to do them. But is it that they're sick, and their behavior attracts dark entities, or are, did they do something that allowed this dark entity to take over, or is it some mix of the two?
1: I would venture to say that it may be a mixture of the two. It's hard to tell. Kind of like uh, when you talk, when you look at a person, you know, their biology is one thing. You have pre, you have inclinations to do certain things due to biology. But then there's other things that are, you know, that are all associated with the environment. So you can't say in all cases or in any case for that matter, you can't say it's all nature or all nurture. It's it's a blend of that. I definitely I'm of that position that it is. So with these killers, same Mm -hmm. thing with these people would kill all these people for no reason yeah I would say yeah. the supernatural aspect that that environment is is hovering around them a lot closer and their their impulses are just more easily swayed by these dark yeah. entities, whereas somebody
2: and I, can't help, I can't help but wonder too and I've spoken to friends about this. It almost seems like at some point in humanity's history, maybe there was some offshoot like a certain percentage of the population they look the same they're still human mostly, but there's something just fundamentally different about certain people. Uh, And it seems like most people can sense that, that it's almost like a different breed of humanity.
0: Mm -hmm. And
2: um, it really makes me wonder where that comes from. Is there some sort of genetic component? Did something get tampered with? Um, You know, there's just so many variables that are possible.
1: There are those out there that will give you a definite yes, as far as that somewhere along the way in humankind's history, there was some genetic stuff going on in there. And then there's others that, that, you know, don't believe that any of that happened, that it's all supernatural. But I, I would say it's a, it's a mixture of both in one point or another. So anyways, before we got off on this particular branch about pos- possession and, and her Baumeister, what are some other stuff that you got? I mean, that you guys got, let's, let's continue down that path because I'm, I'm ready to hear what you guys got and yes. everything else.
2: Sure. And actually, um, if, uh, you guys want to pull up one of those EVPs I sent you, it's, um, the one called, uh, in the title, it says pump room. Uh, we were in the, and it ties into this whole inhuman entity thing that we were talking about. Uh, in my opinion, it's actually one of the less interesting of the EVPs, but Mm -hmm. I, I still can't explain it. None of us could. Uh, and we always throw out any information unless there's just absolutely no logical explanation, that there's no way for us to debunk it. Then that's the only time that we acquiesce and say, OK, I think maybe there's something here. Um, so basically, we were in the pump room that is right adjacent to the pool a few feet away from the pool. Uh, it's a tiny cement room. And so it's, it's not completely sealed off. There's a doorway, but there's no way that there should be any noise of animals or anything from the outdoors uh, coming through there. So it's pretty self-explanatory. You'll hear us and then hear our reaction to it. And I think the question that we ask right before the, the sound is, is pretty telling.
1: All right. Well, then let's let's, uh, let's get the guys to bring that up right quick.
2: Several people say that there is a dark non-human entity here. Is that true? Well, what the heck is that? Yeah, what was it? Yeah, unfortunately it didn't come through quite right as well there. It's um when you have the audio, you know, directly in front of you, it's a really, really distinct distinct kind of whining, screeching sound, and we just had absolutely no way to explain well, where can, that came can... from. And the other
0: we can the play it weird
2: again. thing is it was in that room with us. It wasn't outside the room.
1: Oh, wow. We can we do can, that one again. We can play okay. it again. It's yeah. not a big deal. We'll play it again. Okay. Let's go ahead and run that one again.
2: Several people say that there was a dark, non-human entity here. Is that true?
0: What was that? The heck was that? Yeah, what was
2: it?
1: Yeah, you can hear it. I heard that. What
0: was
2: that? Is that true? What was that? The heck was that? what was it? Wow
1: that that's really that's really freaky. And they don't yeah, have any was, pets, right? No cats, no dogs and th- th- that could potentially have been in there?
2: No, no, nothing that I I think that they did have some pets. gosh it was a year ago I'm trying to remember I can't remember what pets they had. But keep in mind that we were completely sealed off down there. Um there's there was absolutely there were absolutely no animals whatsoever. We were all accounted for. And in that room with these thick cement walls, there's no way that should have been an outside noise. Um, also, I should mention on the lower level, we were able to to hang out down there and talk at full volume all night long. And never once did we disturb the graves who were living upstairs. So that's kind of how good the sound barrier is between the, the levels. Oh. And that'll tie into the next thing I'm going to mention as well.
1: That's awesome that was wow i'm ready for the for the next one and w- what's the next one you're going to talk about
2: uh basically <clears throat> there we had a few apparently paranormal things I'll put it this way, things that I had no explanation for that were pretty pretty darn weird. So basically, um, we did not spend the night at the house. We would investigate overnight, basically stay up as long as we could. But if we didn't feel like we were getting a lot of activity, we'd sort of take a, a group vote and then decide to call it a night and get a few hours sleep before coming back again the next day. So one night we're staying at the hotel um, and uh, my female teammate and I were one room. In one room, and then the guys were in another room during it, so we didn't get the phone call. They got the phone call. um, he picked up the phone and it was Vicky Graves on the phone and it was about five o'clock in the morning and she's like, "Hey, guys, you know, I'm so sorry to ask. It's so loud down there. Do you guys mind you know keeping it down? We're having a hard time sleeping and he's like, "Uh, we're at the hotel. We've been here for hours." And she's like, Oh, okay. It was almost like she already knew. Like, oh, okay, it's it's some kind of spirit.
1: She was just verifying that and it wasn't you guys, huh?
2: <laughs> she she act act she totally thought it was us because it was so loud. She mm-hmm. um but my point is we haven't been there for hours. It was kind of like she's so used to weird stuff happening. You thought, Oh, of course, it's probably, you know, spirits or something. Yeah. Something paranormal. But my point with that is it had to be a of a lot of commotion, because we had been there for days, like I said, moving around, shifting equipment, talking at full volume, and never once did we disturb them. They said they didn't hear us a single time. So whatever was happening that was keeping them up had to be really, really loud. The extra weird part as well is that then the next day when we came back, the sliding door was partially open. I'd say it was open about five or six inches. We swear that we locked it because we were really careful about that every night. Um, as for any intruder coming in or anything, I mean, technically, I guess that's a possibility. But they have security cameras around. It's a really big property. The front entrance has a whole gate, and it would be quite a long, arduous walk for somebody to come all the way down there and come around to the to the back of the house just to open and then leave and leave the door open for It just didn't make any sense. So we thought, huh, that's pretty weird. So we decided that um, because it thought maybe there was activity regarding the sliding door and the fact that there was noise that same night. So we took one of our um, cameras and we aimed it at the sliding door, thinking, okay, uh, we want to see if anything else happens, you know, just on the off chance. So what's um, interesting is is that Jason is is basically our tech guy. So we it shows us on camera, all the rest of us had already walked outside to leave for the night, and we're just kind of standing around loading up the car and waiting for Jason. Jason sets up the camera and you can see him on camera sort of adjusting it, making sure he has the right angle to face right at the sliding door. Now the very last thing he does is there was one of those um one of those big packages of, of water bottles comes wrapped in plastic do yes. you know what i'm talking about yes kind of like vacuum plastic and it was really essentially sized like the really big water bottles. so the, i think it was a six pack it was sitting there on the table and when he went back to look in the viewfinder he he saw that it was blocking the view just slightly so he took those water bottles and he pushed it just i mean ever so slightly out of frame just to where it wouldn't be seen it's probably like a centimeter out of frame And then it shows him walk out and lock the door. Well, the next day, um, we heard on the audio of the video, there was this really loud jiggling of some kind of door handle. Like somebody was furiously jiggling a door handle and and trying to get in somewhere. There are a few doors down there, so we didn't know, we couldn't pinpoint exactly where it was coming from. Obviously, it wasn't the sliding door because that didn't have a a traditional door handle. But the other weird, weird part is that later that day, um, Richard, our team leader, was like, have you guys seen that pack of water bottles anywhere? Um, And we're all like, no, no, we haven't. We looked everywhere and they were nowhere to be found. And that's a pretty substantial size thing to go missing. And as for Rob and Vicky, they are not the kind of people at all that would be like trying to play a prank on us whatsoever. And absolutely nobody shows up on the camera either. What does show up, though, is there's a sound of, like, rustling that you can't quite identify. But when we realized the water bottles were missing, we thought, okay, if this is an intelligent haunting and these spirits are are kind of trickster-like, it makes sense that they would have seen that that was the very last thing that Jason did. He pushed it just out of the view of the camera. So it almost makes sense for an intelligent being to decide to make that disappear. Um, And I know that sounds really fantastical, like an entire six-pack of giant water bottles disappearing, but we truly have no explanation for it. I mean, it literally vanished into thin air.
1: Never never to be found again?
2: Never to be found again. Oh, my God. And, yeah, and it kind of – and obviously there was some kind of activity going on because there was the door handle jiggling and there was that sound of rustling, which – Later on, we thought, well, maybe that was something happening to those water bottles. And it kind of ties in with a a little bit of a theme down there. So there's a a really nice full bar adjacent to that room. It's kind of one large room. So the camera was sitting on a table facing the sliding door. And then over to the other side of the room, there's kind of a lounge area and then a full bar. The full bar is completely stocked uh, with all kinds of liquor bottles. And they're pretty much all full. But when we told Rob about the water bottles... He said that there's – and I can't for the life of me remember which specific kind of liquor it was. It was one in particular, and he said that that bottle, no matter how many times they replace it with a brand new one, it always sinks back down like somebody's drinking it. And uh, you know, I know that sounds really weird, but that's what he told us, and he said it's definitely not them. And the other strange thing is that uh, on one of those evenings, my team and I had decided to – go out um, into the back forest at night to conduct an EVP session. And so my, my teammate had filled her water bottle right before we went outside. It was like one of those solid metal type water bottles. So she filled it up and I think she took like one sip and then she set it on the counter at the bar. We all went outside. We, we did whatever it was we were going to do. And then when we came back in, she's like, what the heck? It was like completely missing Had been drained down to hardly anything in the water bottle. And again, the only other people that could have possibly been there were the property owners and they are certainly not the type that would, you know, like, how would they even think to do that? Because again, it seems intelligent to me because if it's a spirit, it would have seen that that was the last thing we did before we walked outside was fill up that water bottle. So in other words, it's something that we would notice. Does that make sense?
1: Yes you know thinking along those lines you you i guess there's no way to tell if the water was consumed or it just disappeared or uh, excuse me you right. know it just disappeared don't know if it was consumed or not but it definitely was not there when you came back right. to it right that's yeah, yeah that's
2: strange and we weren't gone that terribly long um and even if it let's say theoretically speaking that it was um the property owners trying to play a prank They wouldn't have had any way whatsoever of knowing that she just filled that water bottle. I mean, that thing could have been sitting there for days and and potentially we wouldn't have even noticed that it had been drained for all they know. So, again, it just seems very kind of trickster intelligent to me that they they notice the last thing you're doing and they kind of get a kick out of doing something you'll notice, but that you have no proof for.
1: (laughs) Very much uh, the trickster the trickster angle being played that's wow that's just amazing
0: okay ladies and gentlemen that was part one with anna coats and we will be doing part two we'll be releasing that uh, the middle of next week so stay tuned